you're here and you're younger, it's preparation time. You should be saying, look, I want to be useful for the things of God, so I'm going to find and I'm going to ask, hey, I want to be mentored so that I can be, grow to be a solid, godly person so that I can serve the world in its places of pain in the name of Jesus. And if you're here and you're like, listen, I don't have the strength that I used to, I don't have the energy that I used to, you need to say, look, I need to find people to pour into so that I can reproduce myself spiritually so that the work of God's kingdom never ends. Every believer needs to step into the role God has designated for us and watch the growth and fruitfulness that happens from doing that. In the serving, things get worked out. As Pastor Daniel explains regarding the Levites, God gave his people specific roles. He valued each one of his people as they function to give glory to him. As we learn to embrace our own roles, we can be assured that we'll be nurtured and loved along the way. Now, here's Pastor Daniel with part one of his message entitled, The Second Census of the Levites. All right, let's all open up in those Bibles to the book of Numbers, chapter four. Numbers, chapter four, as we continue our midweek study through the Bible. We've been going chronologically through the Bible. In the book of Numbers here, we live in a world where information is a commodity. What that means is that there's information everywhere. And I don't want you to think for one second that the things that we're talking about tonight, I just kind of made up. We're getting these things right out of God's holy word, the Bible, from Genesis to Revelation. And we're here in the book of Numbers in this series that we're calling Camp. Because at this point, if you're just joining us this evening or if you've been following through... The book of Exodus, especially once the children of Israel leave Egypt, that covers a very short amount of time, about a year's time. And then the book of Leviticus covers only about a month's time. So we're still at the beginning part of the, what we would call the wilderness wanderings, the time between the children of Israel left bondage and slavery in Egypt until they're going to go into the promised land. But the book of Numbers literally covers a 38-year span. So for those of you who went through the book of Leviticus, that only covered a month span. Now in the book of Numbers, it's going to cover 38 years of experiences. But before they could actually even start moving, God began to organize them. Now I know that that maybe sounds crazy, and for those of you who are not organizationally inclined, you'd be like, oh, I can't believe we're studying this. But it's interesting, for God to want to move his people, he actually wanted to do it in a decent and an order fashion. And that's the way God works. I think we have a tendency to believe that God is haphazard in the things that God does. We end up valuing spontaneity more than we have a tendency to value orderliness and organization. But the book of Numbers, especially the first number of chapters in the book of Numbers, it kind of reminds us that God has a plan and God is asking his people to execute a plan. 
And so it's an important reminder to us. And over and over again, we see God's order, his organization. We see the children of Israel's desire to execute that, at least at this juncture in their lives. And so in chapter four, we're going to be seeing the second census of the tribe that we call the Levites or the descendants of Levi. Now remember, last week we took the first census, which was every male who was of the tribe of Levi who was older than a month. Because for the work of the tent of meeting, the tabernacle, which ultimately became the temple, they were given the specific responsibility to care for that part of the life of the children of Israel. And so last week, we saw all the men who would be in that category. Now this week, we're only going to see a census of those men who are between the ages of 30 and 50, because that was the time when they actually did the work of the tabernacle. That was when they stood and served the people. Now, you might be saying, so what? God doesn't like people who are younger than 30 or older than 50? And you know what the answer to that is? Of course he doesn't like you. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Totally, totally kidding. You have to realize that in order to be used by God, there is always a preparation period. So somebody who is growing up in the tribe of Levi, they look forward to the day when they hit 30 and then they fulfill that role. So Up until the age of 30, it's all about preparation. And then when a person who's of the tribe of Levi, once they hit 50, it's not like, okay, well, you're done and you're retired. Now go play Marjan and golf for the rest of your life. Then at that point, they go into the sage role where now they've already fulfilled that part of their ministry. Now they go into that sagacious role where now they're pouring in to the next generation. And I believe that in a culture like ours, we need to both regain the reality of preparation before we step into areas of leadership. And once you've been in leadership for a while, we take that sagacious role to say, I am going to reproduce myself spiritually in the younger generation. It's such an important thing because our New Testaments teach us that older men should teach younger men and older women should teach younger women. So there comes a point in everyone's life where you realize this is the step I'm on and because I'm on this step, now this is my role. And in American culture, we don't value people who have spent more trips around the sun. We have a culture that values youthfulness more than the seasoning of age. But the church doesn't do that or shouldn't do that. Because as the generation who's been around longer, they need to now say, look, it's not about me. Now my job is to pour in and lead and help nurture the next generation. And I think in American culture right now, and Pastor Bill's ministry next step, for those of you who are in the second half of life, he's trying to point that older generation to take that role to say, I am going to pour into the next generation because they're the present. But I think a lot of us, what happens is we're so used to being the one doing that now to be able to say, I'm going to pour into the people doing because they have a whole lot of energy, but maybe not as much seasoning as they need. And the body of Christ is meant to function that way. We never want to say the church was really strong then and now it's weak now. No, we should say, given the role that I have, I want to pour in. And so when a priest A Levite hits the age of 50, he stops his active ministry to all the people to now do a specific ministry of discipleship and nurture. And I believe we need that, don't we? 
I believe every generation and every niche, age niche within the people of God needs to say, what is my role? What's my role? And so if you're here and you're younger, it's preparation time. You should be saying, look, I want to be useful for the things of God, so I'm going to find and I'm going to ask, hey, I want to be mentored so that I can be, grow to be a solid, godly person so that I can serve the world and its places of pain in the name of Jesus. And if you're here and you're like, listen, I don't have the strength that I used to, I don't have the energy that I used to, you need to say, look, I need to find people to pour into so that I can reproduce myself spiritually so that the work of God's kingdom never ends. But the census here is primarily about those who are between the ages of 30 and 50, that 20-year gap when they were literally doing the work of service. So let's jump right on in. Chapter 4 of Numbers chapter 4, oh wait. Chapter 4 of the book of Numbers, verse 1. It says, Then the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, Take a census of the sons of Kohath from among the children of Levi, by their families, by their father's house, from 30 years old and above, even to 50 years old, all who enter the service to do the work in the tabernacle of meeting. This is the service of the sons of Kohath in the tabernacle of meeting relating to the most holy things. Now, so right now, one of the sons of Levi, Kohath, is in focus here. Now, I want you to notice a few things. First, it is the work of the tabernacle of meeting. Now, here's the thing. If you've read your Bibles at all, you realize that you would hear in church, you are saved by faith or by grace apart from works. Right, And what that means is that we, you and I, any person who would believe in Jesus is made right with God, not by the things we do or don't do, but because God has been gracious to us by providing Jesus. What that means is that none of us can do works that God will accept us. The prophet Isaiah goes so far to say that your righteousness is as what? Filthy rags. Now, I don't mean to be coarse. I realize it's late at night, but if you were to look up the word filthy rags in your Hebrew Bible and you did a search on it, you know what a filthy rag is? It's literally a used sanitary napkin. Very provocative picture. Let me just ask the question. What do you do with a used sanitary napkin? Nothing, right? You get rid of it. It is of completely no use after it's been used, right? That's what our good works are. So we can't come to God and say, look at the things that I've done. Now, I bring this up because I realize that for so many of us, even though we know this, we still think, God, I've done X, Y, and Z, now you owe me. Like we're playing tit for tat with the Lord. We're saying, Lord, I've stopped smoking, I've stopped drinking, I've done this and I've done that, and I haven't done this anymore, and now, Lord, now I want a raise, or I want to get married, or whatever you're, it's like, we're trying to play God off, we're doing these good things, and now, God, you owe me. I'm here to tell you, anytime you think what you're doing puts God in your debt, that is not the gospel, that's just good old-fashioned religion. Religion is saying, God, I've done this, now you owe me. And I realize that you all know This isn't supposed to be the way it is, but there's a kind of a brokenness and a fallenness in our hearts that we're always like, Lord, I don't deserve this because I've done X, Y, and Z. Lord, I served at VBS. 
Why am I sick right now? Which, think about what that means. It means because I've done these things, now God, you owe me, and what I'm getting, it's, this isn't a fair trade. See, nobody is saved by works, but it's the work of the tabernacle of meeting. Why? Because you don't get saved by the works that you do. You get saved unto good works, which God prepared beforehand that we would do. That's Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and 10. Verse 8, for by grace you have been saved through faith and not of yourself. It is the gift of God. Verse 9, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Verse 10, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works. Now get this, which God prepared beforehand that we would do. That's awesome. We're not saved by works because if we were, we would think we were hot stuff. We were saved unto good works, which God actually prepared beforehand that you and I would do. This is a head trip. God already knew that I was going to be up here teaching this message. Before the foundations of the earth, God already prepared me to be up here in front of you today. And I'm here to tell you, whatever the work that God has called you to, he has prepared you beforehand to do that work. And that's why we've been encouraging you all to step into the work of ministry. To find an avenue to serve the Lord here at Crossroads by serving the family and serving those outside. Why? Because God prepared beforehand that you and I would do those type of things. God knows that the growth that we want to see in our life never comes from being like, I'm growing, I'm growing, I'm growing. It comes from actually serving. And as we serve, now all those things get worked out in our lives. I was explaining it to someone today this way. I said, listen, if you want to get in good shape, and I'm like, look, I am no expert on being in shape. I admit that. But I know that it involves two things primarily, your diet and exercise, right? Everybody pretty much knows that. If you do a lot of exercise, but you don't watch your diet, you might be strong, but, you know, a man cannot truly live on Twinkies alone. I've tried. Right? So it's diet and exercise. Now you're here tonight, or maybe you come on Sundays, or you watch online, or however you do it. This is one of the ways that you get fed spiritually, by hearing the word of God. Right? And not, it should only be at service. You should read the Bible on your own and listen to podcasts. I mean, there's so much opportunity for us to receive and feed on God's word. So you need a diet of God's word, but you also need exercise. And the exercise that we have spiritually is self-sacrificial service to other people. Because worship plays itself out in service, and true growing in your faith with Jesus comes in the context of mission, doing the work of ministry. So listen, you need to find areas outside of your normal life that you serve people, that you say, hey, look, I'm going to get involved in the prayer ministry, or kids ministry, or student ministry. I'm going to be a greeter. You might say, well, maybe I'm not such a good greeter. Well, it's really, it really takes practice being friendly. You know, it's like God wants to make us uncomfortable so that he can reshape us. But you have to take a step of faith and step on out. So I love this because it's the work of the tabernacle. Like, it'd be great to be like, I'm a Levite. I'm chosen. I don't have anything to do. I'm just going to sit here. But it's work. And when you are serving the Lord, sometimes, I've heard it said this way, sometimes you get weary in the work. But you shouldn't get weary of the work. Like, 
in service to God, you should find yourself being tired. That means you're actually doing something. The key is that you don't get weary of the work, that you start to dislike the work that you're doing. And the difference between being weary in the work and being weary of the work is in our hearts. That's where the difference made. Listen, when I go home on a Wednesday night, on a Sunday, I'm wiped out, I'm tired. Because I tried to lay it all out there. But the key is I'm like, oh, I gotta go to church, I can't stand this. Then it's a heart problem, make sense? And so I want you to get tired in serving the Lord. Because listen, if you're not getting tired serving the Lord, I'm pretty sure you're still getting tired for unrighteous mammon, right? You're just exhausting yourself for a paycheck. We all kind of do that. But at least you can say, I'm serving in a way that has eternal consequences. I think about our folks at Crossroads Kids. How cool is it? I love them. I have kids who go to Crossroads Kids. I love when my kids, I'm like, say, hey, what was up at Kids Church? And they start singing me songs, sharing me Bible verses. I'm like, man, the folks at Crossroads Kids are literally changing my kids' life. And I love it. You know why? Because they don't only hear it from mom and dad. Now they hear it from mom and dad and all these other people who are investing in their lives. See, we want to be involved in the work of ministry. All of us are called to it. Not a few of us, all of us. And that's really where we grow. That's where we put hands and feet on the work of ministry. So it is work and it will be work. Now notice this work, verse four, this is the service of the sons of Kohath. Now here's another thing, notice. It's their service. And I want to tell you this, when you're serving people, you have to make sure that you're serving the Lord and not serving people. Because you know what happens if you're serving people? If they don't say thank you, you stop doing it. I am done doing that. You ever have that experience? I, I know you wives have had this experience with your husbands. I've done all this and he doesn't even say thank you. I am done with that dude, right? I've heard this. I've heard this personally. Let's <laughs> just like... You don't even say thank you. I cooked all day. I'm just, you know, caveman eating, you know. See, but you don't do it for the person. You do it as unto the Lord. And guess what? The person gets the benefit. See, when you do your job, not for the paycheck, but you do it as unto the Lord because God ordained holy work, you do it unto the Lord and he sees and your boss gets the benefit. See, what happens for most of us is we get very on the earthly level with it, don't we? We're like, I'm doing this for you. So like, let's say you start serving at Crossroads. And because you're serving at Crossroads, you're like, well, listen, because I'm serving at Crossroads, every time I see Pastor Daniel, he's going to know everything that I'm doing. And if he doesn't say thank you, then I'm not going to serve at Crossroads anymore. So if that's the heart, then what you're doing is you're doing it not for the Lord. You're doing it for me. And, and I know you guys are way smarter than to do that. You know what I mean? But you have to do all the services unto the Lord because God always sees what we do. Even if nobody says thank you, God sees and God rewards you in your heart with his pleasure because he sees you. How often does nobody see, and a lot of you have had this experience, nobody knows that you did this thing, but God knows, and you don't even care that anyone knows because God sees and he's like, that's my kid. That's my child. And that is the most rewarding thing in the world. So it's service is unto God, and people get the benefit. So the sons of Kohath, their service was really unto the Lord, but the children of Israel get the benefit. Now, what is the actual work? Look at what it says in verse 4. This is the service of the sons of Kohath in the tabernacle of meeting relating to the most holy things. When the camp prepares to journey, Aaron and his sons shall come, and they shall take down the covering veil 
cover the ark of the testimony with it. Then they shall put on it the covering of badger skins and spread over that cloth entirely of blue and they shall insert its poles. On the table of showbread they shall spread a blue cloth and put on it the dishes and pans and bowls and the pitchers for pouring and the showbread shall be on it. They shall spread over them a scarlet cloth and cover the same with a covering of badger skins, and they shall insert its bowls. And they shall take a blue cloth and cover the lampstand of the light with its lamps, its wick trimmers, its trays, and all the oil vessels with which they service it. Then they shall put it with all its utensils in a covering of badger skins and put it on a carrying beam. Over the golden altar they shall spread a blue cloth and cover it with a covering of badger skins, and they shall insert its poles, and they shall take all the utensils of service with which they minister in the sanctuary, put them in a blue cloth, cover them with a covering of badger skins, and they shall put them on a carrying beam. Also, they shall take away the ashes from the altar and spread a purple cloth over it. Now, all of these different Pieces of furniture in the most holy place or the holy place are the responsibility of the sons of Kohath. So you notice they have the veil that separates. You guys remember this from the book of Exodus? If you don't, I'll explain it to you. Remember, there's this tent of meeting. It's a portable worship tent. And there's the outer courts where anyone could go. And then there is inside the tent, there's the holy place. And then there's a veil. And then there's the most holy place. In the holy place, there was the golden lampstand. There was the table of showbread, and there was the altar of incense. Then there's the veil, and then there's this thing called the Ark of the Covenant, which was the box that was gold all around, which had the two cherubim that were facing each other. And inside that box, there's a number of items, including the two tables of the law, the two tablets of the law, and ultimately Aaron's buttered rod, which we'll get to, and a little jar of the manna which fell from heaven. All those things are in there. Now, when it's time to move, the sons of Kohath go into action, first taking the veil down that separates the holy from the most holy place and covering the ark, and then taking these veils and, and, and coverings and putting them over each piece of furniture. So notice the very first thing they do is they cover the most sacred things. Now, what does this teach us? This teaches us that God is so holy that there is a separation between God and people. That's what it reminds us. You're going to find it as we get farther along that they were trying to move the Ark of the Covenant and someone went to touch it and they actually died. Because God is holy and perfect. There's an implied sense of separation that as it was time, before they even took the tent down, they're covering the articles because it's not for everyone. Now you might say, well, okay, so, so what does that mean about my relationship with God? Don't forget that that's exactly why Jesus came because there's a separation between a human and God. Because God is God. We have a tendency to think, well, God is my homeboy. No, he's not. He's God Almighty. And he is very intimate, but it's not casual. I think because we have a casual culture, that we don't have very strong sense of authority, like kids don't respect their parents because our culture doesn't value these type of things. We have a casual sense in our experience with God. But God is holy and he's distinct. Jesus is real 
Webster's Dictionary defines friction as the resistance that one surface or object encounters when moving over another. We experience friction all around us, from the people at work to the people who won't leave the left lane when you're in traffic. Irritation and friction affect us every day. But probably the most significant area where we face friction these days is when our modern culture collides with our faith. They just don't play nice sometimes. I recently shared a series called Friction with our family of faith at Crossroads Community Church, and I would love to share it with you as well. This series has revolutionized our thinking about how we, the body of Christ, are to exist and engage the culture around us for the cause of Christ. It comes straight out of the book of Daniel. This month, we've created a special mini-series from the Friction series just for you, the Jesus is Real radio listener. Here's Josh with the info you need to get yourself a copy. Thanks, Pastor Daniel. Anyone who supports Jesus is Real Radio through the month of May with a gift of $25 or more will receive a special three-part mini-series that was taken from the Friction series that Pastor Daniel just mentioned. To receive your three-CD set from the Friction series, simply visit JesusIsRealRadio.com and select Partner from the main menu. There you'll have the opportunity to give a one-time gift or support Jesus Is Real Radio on a monthly basis. Please remember, every bit of support you provide helps us continue and expand what God is doing through Jesus Is Real Radio. Thanks for joining us today. Until next time, may God bless. 